0: taking their seat if you would go ahead and take your copy of god's word and turn to numbers chapter 9 that's where we're going to uh that's where we're ultimately going to end up let us go ahead to the lord in prayer before we get started father we come before you now and lord i pray that you would use me to speak to your people god i pray that you would uh pour out manna from heaven and God, I pray that, uh, that it would be something that we would be hungry for. And so, God, I pray that you would use me uh, in a great way to feed your sheep. And so, God, we pray uh, that we would open your word. I pray that we would behold mighty things. And God, I pray that uh, we would hear them with a soft heart, a moldable heart. And Lord, I pray that uh, the things that we need to change about us, that we would change. And Lord, the things that... Uh, that we're doing well. I pray that we would be encouraged and we would continue to run this race set before us. So God, I pray now that you would uh, speak and I pray that we would listen and be obedient. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Numbers. Uh, I told you guys before that if you were to do a, a Google search for sermons from the book of Numbers, which I've done, you would come up wanting. There aren't very many of them. Most of them camp out right in the section of Numbers where Balaam the donkey, talking donkey speaks. And so most of your sermons are somewheres in there. And we are just going to mention Balaam in passing. And if you have any questions about him, Wednesday night will be your night to come. And we'll talk more about Balaam. But I got asked to speak one day uh, on a Sunday morning to a church on Baptist Men's Day. And I stood in the pulpit and I said, I was going to preach to you guys out of the book of numbers because I had been studying it. And this was, this was three, four, maybe five years ago. And the whole congregation erupted into laughter. And I was like, what? I'm serious. And they were like, they just, they didn't understand how any pastor could preach out of the book of numbers. But I think that what you're going to find is that once we go through the book of numbers, you are going to realize that it fits perfectly with what we've been studying. The book of numbers is just one more way to go, God in the midst of the story that we've been following. So if you, if you're not sure what we're doing here, uh, there's a handful of new people here. We started in the book of Genesis chapter one, verse one, and we have been walking through over the last few weeks, uh, through the scriptures, and it just so happens that we're in the book of Numbers, and I couldn't bring myself to preach through the book of Numbers on Easter. I just felt like that would be doing you a disservice. And so we took a, we took about a three week pause, and now we're getting back into the story. So we don't have time to do a huge review, but if there's anything that, um, that you wish you would have known before we get to the book of Numbers. All of our sermon series is is on the internet on our church website, and so you can do all of your catching up on the website. We're just not going to be able to a bunch, but we'll start in the book of Genesis. And I want you to remember that God is the creator of all things. Uh, God made every single thing that was and has ever been. And so then we walk through the story of creation and we realize that the heavens and the earth, every single thing. And then on day six, God creates man and woman. And man and woman are given three distinct purposes. They are to worship and obey, to be fruitful and multiply, and don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You get around to Genesis chapter 3 and you realize that man has crashed and burned. He has failed in his purposes and now the only purpose left for him to do is to uh, worship and obey. You get to Genesis chapter 4 and you find out through Cain and Abel what worship and obedience looks like. Remember the whole point of Genesis chapter 4 is so that you see as a Christian what worship and obedience is not. Abel gives us a... a a offering out of faith and obedience. And Cain gives one simply out of obedience. Abel's gift is accepted and Cain's gift is rejected because it wasn't given out of a heart of faith. And the book of Hebrews says without faith it is impossible to please God. And so there's no amount of good that any individual can do to, to be pleasing to God separated from faith. You've got to have the two in order for it to be acceptable. Well, you keep cruising through the book of Genesis. You get to Genesis chapter 6. You've got the story of the flood. You see how abominable sin is. Sin has just grown and grown and grown, and now it's out of control, and God just destroys everything, and he hits the reset button with Noah. Over on to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Uh, he starts over with, with um, Noah, and before you know it, you know that man's purpose is to worship and obey. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 11, the, the men are building towers or they're building a giant tower to make a name for themselves instead of making a name for God. And so you realize this thing is not going in a good direction. God comes down. He, he confuses all of the languages. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses a guy named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to draw the nations of the world back to myself. And so from Genesis chapter 12 up to the book of Numbers, God is in the process of drawing all the people back to himself. And if you remember, there's three things that God has said that I'm going to give to Abraham in order to accomplish this purpose. And they were land, seed, and a blessing. Following me? The book of Numbers and the book of Joshua is all going to be about getting the people into the land. And the land is going to be the stage which God uses to draw all the nations to himself. That land, ultimately, we're going to call Israel. And so uh, you've got the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They get more and more sinful as time goes on. And so what God does is he takes this group of about 70 individuals. He puts them in Egypt in slavery so that when he's ready to use them, they're able to they're usable. They're not so riddled with sin that God can't use them, but now they're usable. God delivers them from slavery in the book of Exodus, and they are on to the promised land. But first, God wants to dwell among them. So they take a pit stop, they, they stop for gas, and they build a $38 million tent for God to dwell in. And the book of Leviticus gives instructions on how you're supposed to use a $38 million tent because they're not readily available, in case you're wondering. And so now God is dwelling among them, and the book of Numbers, in its original form, was originally called In the Desert, or In the Wilderness, rather. And so that's the name of this book, and so the book of Numbers isn't just about numbers, but it's about their time spent in the wilderness. And so we pick up in Numbers chapter 1. You stay in 9, but I'm going to jump back to 1. And you'll find in Numbers chapter 1, appropriately, there's numbers involved. And if you know anything about me thus far, me and numbers don't get along, right? That's why it's important when you elect deacons, you elect deacons that are good with numbers because your pastor's not. You following me? That's why at the budget meeting, I don't man the calculator. Someone else does. You guys, loosen up. It's been a great few weeks. You're, you're all alive from the storm. Your yards, for the most part, are all cleaned up. And now it's the town's problem to get the trash where it's supposed to go. All right. So let's, let's endure this. So we start out with a, with a numbering of the people. And this is going to make sense a little bit later. If you noticed, if you read through the book of Numbers, which I hope you did, God numbers the people how many times? Twice. There's two numberings of the people. You have God in the beginning. He numbers all of the people who came out of Egypt. Now, there's something that you need to remember about these people. This first generation that gets numbered witnessed the ten plagues. As they they kept the Passover, the angel of death came, didn't take any of their firstborns that were in their houses, but everyone else's firstborn died. This is the same group of people that marched out of Egypt plundering the egyptians when they left they didn't just get freed from egypt but they left wearing all of the egyptians gold and fine jewels and all of these other things and so it's a group of it's a ragtag group of folks who leave slavery without a fight and they're, they take all of their cap, The people that had them captive All of their nice things And so now they're out in the desert And the Pharaoh decides You know that was a bad idea Turning the slaves free I need to pursue them And get them back And so Pharaoh chases them And what does God do? They get back in between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea And Moses parts the Red Sea Now this is 2 million people Who have been freed from slavery Two million people have to cross the Red Sea. And so this isn't just a narrow little walkway that two million people follow. It has to be a wide chasm that two million people can march across if it's gonna take anything less than a week to get them across. You with me? And so these are giant miracles. And it says that there's a wall of water on both sides and they cross through on dry land. This is that same group of people and God numbers them. And so they, they're given a few instructions by God uh, Numbers chapter 2 says that, the uh, verse 34, you stay in 9. It says, thus the sons of Israel did according to all the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and they set out, everyone by his family according to his father's household. And so what you see is that this people, so far, they're obeying now that they're in the wilderness. So far. They just built a tabernacle, and now Moses had told them how to arrange themselves, how to camp, how to march, and they're doing it. But remember, this is the same group of people that as soon as Moses was gone, what were they doing? Worshiping a golden calf. So keep your eye on these people. These are the same people who said, Lord, everything you've said we will do. And then they turn around and worship a golden cow. Now we get to Numbers chapter 9. They observe the first Passover. And in Numbers chapter 9, verse 15. And this is what I want you to remember about this passage. These people never wandered in the desert as you and I use the word wandering. Uh, normally, if you give me directions to a place, I wander there because I'm going to take a wrong turn here and there. And I'm, I'm, normally, I'll, I'll get lost where I'm going and I'll have to figure out what is what. You with me? That's wandering. You're just kind of moseying through. These people didn't wander. Verse 15, chapter 9. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterwards the sons of Israel would then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few, ta- a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. So this isn't wandering. This is the Lord commanding them. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, settling above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out at the command of the Lord. They camped and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. And so these people, I read all of that to tell you that they were actively following the commands of the Lord. You are not wandering if if you give me directions to your house, I'm going to wander there following your directions. Because a lot of times the way you give directions and the way I give directions are completely different. Listen, I will give somebody perfect directions to my house And they will call my house lost and ask to speak to my wife And my wife will get on the phone with with individuals and she will give them directions to my house And I will say my goodness. where are you where are you taking them? They're going to get lost and they knock on my door five minutes later And I have I don't even know how to follow the directions that she gave to get to my house All that to say i'm bad at giving directions but if you said listen Bobby, there's a pillar of fire outside the sanctuary. Follow the pillar of fire and you will be at my house. Done. Got it perfect. I know exactly where to go. And so these people have incredible directions. They've been freed from slavery. They've built this tabernacle for God to dwell among them. God is actively leading them. They can see the presence of God in a cloud by day, and they can see the presence of God in a pillar of fire by night. And they are going where he's leading them. And they, if they obey the commands of God, they're going to march into the promised land to a land flowing with milk and honey. If they follow the commands that were given them in the book of leviticus remember blessings if you obey curses if you disobey you get to chapter 11 verse 1 now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the lord and when the lord heard it his anger was kindled and the fire of the lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp The people therefore cried out to moses and moses prayed to the lord and the fire died out So the name of that place was called tabera because the fire of the lord burned among them All I could think about when I was reviewing this morning was johnny cash's burning ring of fire song I imagine two million people camped out in a circle camped out They're all around the tabernacle and they start murmuring and complaining That sounds like people right? God's taking you somewhere grand And it's taking too long. And so what do we start doing? I'm cold. I'm hot. My seat's not comfortable. It's Lord come quickly before everything goes downhill. But all the people, they start murmuring. And so what does God do? Fire consumes the outskirts of the camp. That's the, that's the first be quiet guys. Now the rabble who were among them, verse four, had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Get this picture. The people have been freed from slavery. They are walking through the wilderness. Sinai, wilderness, sand, no water, and honey buns are falling from the sky every morning. And the people are like, oh, but we used to eat fish. We used to eat melons. While the hostess truck is has just backed up to them, and every morning it feeds them. And the people are grumbling and complaining. God is marching them to the promised land, but they won't stop complaining. There's nothing to eat but this manna. Verse 10. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Skinny people. What can you do with them? just incontent with whatever you give them. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant talking about himself? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? And so Moses cries out to the Lord and says, listen, what have I done? Why have I not found favor in your sight? These two million people are complaining to me. Can you imagine two million grumbling and complaining folks? I can't. Was it I, he says in verse 12... That conceived all these people? Was it I who brought them forth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom? As a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their forefathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all these people, because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight. And do not let me see my wretchedness. Listen to this. If you have ever been in Christian leadership, you understand this principle. He has. See? The people in Christian leadership are chuckling because they understand. You can take a group of people who have been in bondage to sin and slavery and all sorts of other things. And you can march them to the promised land. If that group complains and, and murmurs and grumbles along the way, it is easy to be just like Moses. Moses, listen, single-handedly with God's help delivers the people to, to ten plagues and he's taking two million people to a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, talk about a leadership seminar this guy could put on. He is the go-to guy for leadership. But all of the grumbling and complaining wears him down. How do we complain in the South? i'm just kidding no you ain't kidding you're serious why because the funniest jokes are true think of all the jokes you've heard there's an ounce of truth to every single one of them and so i don't think now listen very carefully you're going to learn in numbers that there's actually 11 commandments in scripture the 11th commandment is thou shalt not misquote the preacher okay you guys you guys do a really good job I have seen you succeed at a a lot of things that we have done. A lot of really good things. But we probably have pockets, small pockets of mumbling and murmuring. And if we are going to excel as a church, if we are going to cruise on to the promised land, we've got to be a people who put an end to murmuring and complaining. Because just like Paul says in the book of Philippians, do all things without grumbling and complaining. It's a necessity To go where God is taking you without grumbling and complaining. Now check this out. Sometimes you need to complain about something. Sometimes your complaint is legitimate. But how is the right way? What is the right way to complain? You go directly to the person that you have the problem with and you talk to them. You don't go to your Sunday school class and hope that one of them goes to the right person. You don't go to all of the deacons and complain to all the deacons and hope that they go to the right person. The right way to complain, because there are some things that that would be good to complain about. You go to the person involved and you settle it mano a mano, and then it's taken care of and you're not complaining. You're just simply sharing a concern with me. All right. So we're not going to be these people. I'm not going to lay at bed at night and say, God, if this is how you're going to treat me, kill me now. We're not going to do that. Right? Good deal. We're in good shape. And so what happens? God says, Moses, I want you to consecrate the people. I want you to make them holy. And I'm going to bring you meat. This sounds a lot like the feeding of the 5,000 if you haven't thought about that. Because Moses says, Lord, if we were to take years worth of wages, where could we buy enough meat for all of these people? And God says, is my arm shortened? Do you really think that I'm not going to be able to do this? And so it says that a, a wind comes off the sea and quail... Two miles around the whole camp, excuse me, two kilometers around the whole camp, quail are flying three feet off the ground. I had a friend who got uh, bats in his attic. And I don't know what you do. If you don't want to call the exterminator when you get bats in your attic, he went at it the best way I felt like. He got his daughter's catcher's mask put it on and he got his daughter's tennis racket and he goes in the attic and he starts swinging away at bats and so this is the picture that you get there are quail flying three feet off the ground three kilometers around the camp and it says that everybody went out and collected quail and so you're swinging whatever you can swing at quail i imagine and it says that the person who collected the least amount of quail collected 60 bushels of quail 60 bushels of quail is what the, the family that collected the least got. And it says that the Lord was so mad at them that before it even got in their teeth, he took out a bunch of them because of their murmuring and complaining. You see, murmuring and complaining is way up on the list of things that God cannot stand. You ever been with somebody that murmurs and complains all the time? You ever been in company with someone who just nothing ever goes right? It's like, come on, loosen up. You're alive. It's okay. Everything's gonna be all right. But anyways, that's way up there on the, the, the things that God just can't stand. And so you, God has numbered the people and after he numbers the people, there's murmuring, there's complaining all throughout the book of Numbers. Even Aaron and Miriam, you find in chapter 12 are complaining. Chapter 13, we get to Kadesh Barnea. So we've gotten to the edge of the promised land and Moses picks 12 spies, one from every tribe of Israel and he's gonna send the spies into the land to scout out the land. And you guys know the story. They go into the land and they come back and 10 of the spies say, nope, the people are big we're not going in there. But Joshua and Caleb say, no, the Lord is able to deliver us. The land is so good that they cut down a, a, a cluster of grapes and it's so big that they have to carry it on a pole between two people. Can you imagine if your grape vines behind your house were producing grapes so good that one cluster of grapes you have to carry between two people? That completely eliminates your kids going and picking grapes for you if the grapes are producing that much. But that's how good this land is. And 10 of the people say, yes, the land does look like that, but we were like grasshoppers in the sight of all the people. We were so small and they were so big and they're afraid and they don't want to go in. And so what you find is that the Lord is angry with them for not going and taking the land that he's going to give them. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, It says, then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, this is, this is a complete tragedy. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Can you imagine the 10 plagues you were delivered from? The Red Sea. You're, you're saying this. You're saying, why are we doing this And the whole time you're grumbling and complaining and weeping and wailing all night, there's a pillar of fire amongst you. God is actively doing something amongst you. And the people say, it would have just been better if we didn't even start. If we would have just stayed in slavery. And actually, it would be better if we just died here right now. Because we're all friends, let's talk. There are a lot of churches... A lot of churches in the Bible Belt where people dug their feet in and they said, we'll go this far and no farther. It would be better if we just stop here and don't do anything else. I I hope... That that the things I've been saying have not been condemning because I love you guys to death and I think that we have great things in store for what's going on. But I feel this is I'm I'm not a prophet. Uh, I'm not speaking of a, a, a vision to you. But let me just tell you what I think. As is the leader of our church, I think that we are on the brink of incredible things for the gospel. I think that we are we are kindling a fire that is going to burn incredibly bright. And I hope and I pray that we are not a people who say, let's just stop here and go no further. My prayer for us is that we would be a people who readily throw ourselves out there and we live by faith, not by sight. I pray that that's who we'll be. You following me? Because whenever you start to do great things for God, you never have the resources and the the. You never have the natural ability to do the things that god's asking you to do It always takes you stepping out in faith and allowing him to do things and for him to multiply things you picking up what i'm putting down What that means is that there's going to come a time probably in the near future where uh, The deacons and myself the leadership of the church is going to say listen This is where we feel like god is taking us. We need you to trust us and we need to step out in faith And I think that's the direction that we're heading. Do I know what direction that is? Have no idea But I serve a God who can be a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And he never leaves his people hanging. He always gives clear cut guidelines and he gives good direction to people who are willing to listen. And so I pray that we would be a people. Who have our hearts inclined towards God and will listen to where He's going to send us. and I pray that those of you that aren't in leadership positions would be people who are not grumblers and complainings, but that you would be encouraging to the leadership of the church, and that you would be willing to help in whatever way is necessary. Amen? Amen. Sound like good, Sound good to you. These people, by the way, would not have died in, in captivity had they have done that. But there are tons, tons, of churches that are dying because they've just put their feet in. And on the altar of, we've never done it that way, and on the altar of, mm, never seen that before, they have died. Instead of following a pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. But, so far so good, we are rocking and rolling, just so you know. No complaints so far. So, they went to appoint a leader to take them back, and in verse 22 of chapter 14... It says, surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not listened to my voice shall by no means see the land, which I swore to their forefathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. The Lord spoke to Moses verse 26 and said, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I surely do to you. Your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. Even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you will not come into the land which I swore to settle you. Except Caleb and Joshua. Verse 31. Your children, however, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in and they shall know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness and they shall suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness and so they were not wandering for 40 years in the desert what were they doing for 40 years in the desert god was actively killing them because they were unfaithful and they weren't going to do the things that he did because I I wasn't planning on bringing up some of the stuff I brought up earlier, but listen to this. Some churches plateau. You ever seen a church that kind of grows and then it plateaus and it doesn't go anywhere? And sometimes it stays 40, 50 years and doesn't go anywhere. And then it either begins to decline or then it begins to go up again. Do you know what happens during that plateau time sometimes? God, God gets rid of people. And I mean this in the nicest way possible. Sometimes God will wait till people A, either die, or B, either leave the church until he begins to go again. Because God is a God who moves forward with the right group of people in place. And some places cannot move forward as long as certain people are, are stopping the work of God. Sometimes there are grumblers and complainers that God just says, you know what? Church, I just want you to wait right there until those people are gone. And then we're going to move forward. Now, you you might be thinking now. He's just young and dumb. You ask any old and wise man. And he will, he will put his money right with what I just said. It's a fact. Guaranteed. It's just not something that gets talked about a lot. Because it's not popular. You don't stand at somebody's funeral and say. Alright let's go. It's time to go. That person's gone. Off to the promised land. That's not what you say. Listen, all the people 20 years and under are going to go into the promised land. What do you think those kids did when they got together in their tree forts? There's only one neighborhood of old people left. Then we're going to the promised land as soon. Listen, there's only 20 of them left. I just counted them. 20 more grumblers and we're off to the promised land. That's what happened here. For 40 years, they stayed in the wilderness until all of the grumblers and complainers God took out. And then he went in with a new generation. Now, just so that you believe, we're going to finish. You keep going and you go on to, there's more things that happen. There's some really neat things that happen. We're going to get to them on Wednesday about uh, the rock and, and Moses bringing water out of the rock. But you get on to verse, excuse me, chapter 25. And there's this really interesting story that may not make a lot of sense. I'm going to sum it up for you for the sake of time. Israel gets to a place uh, and the numbers of the people are whittling down. There's not a whole lot of the grumblers and complainers left. There's only about 26,000 or so left. Now, 26,000 is not a lot if you started out with about 2 million. So there's about 26,000 left. And then it says here, chapter 25, verse 1, While Israel, Israel remained at Siddim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, for they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Good thing or bad thing? If you've read the book of Leviticus, you know where this is going. Nowhere fast. So Israel, verse 3, joined themselves to Baal of Peor and the Lord was angry against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, now just so you know, some of your scriptures are going to say that they began to lay with the women. Uh, whenever you worshipped this God of Peor, it was a sexual thing. Uh, that's, that's one of the ways that you're going to worship this God. And so there's a lot of, uh, sexual immorality going on amongst the people. And this is kindle the Lord's anger, verse four, take the, the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord. We're not going to do that by the way, that's not on our, that's not where God's leading us. Okay. Take all the people, execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, while they were weeping at the doorway to the tent of meeting. meeting. So here's the story. All the people are, or well, a lot of the people are weeping at the tent of meeting because of the sin that's been going on. And behind them, a man brings a woman into his family. And they're going to worship Baal of Peor with this woman. This is all sexually oriented. And then it says, Then behold, verse 7. When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he arose from the midst of the congregation and took his spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent, and pierced both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. Those who died by the plague were 24,000. And so this is what happens. The people get numbered in the beginning of the book of Numbers. And so the census is taken. And they're just sinful and sinful and sinful. They're doing some of the right things. But their heart is completely far from God. And that's shown by their grumbling and complaining. Now they're worshiping false gods. And now the the congregation, some of them are repentant and they're weeping. And meanwhile, this other man grabs this Midianite woman and he's going to worship in the tent. And so Phineas grabs a spear and he follows the man into the tent. And this this is, don't be a visual thinker, but they are actively involved in a sexual deed. And so the, the Phineas takes a spear and he stabs it through both of them. And that graphic picture is like an exclamation point because God uses that, that spear being slammed down and he kills 26,000 of them in a plague. And what happens next? Chapter 26. He counts the people again. Why does God count the people twice? Because there's two different generations. There's a wicked and unbelieving generation. And God kills all of them in the wilderness. And then there's another generation, their kids, who are characterized by obeying the commandments of God and worshiping. Who does that sound like? Because there's two things that God wants you to get out of the book of Numbers. There's a lot more, but there's two that we're going to talk about now. Remember Cain and Abel? Remember Cain who says the right things and he does the right thing, but he has a heart that's wicked and he doesn't have a heart of faith and it's rejected? That's the people in Israel That's the, excuse me, that's the people in the wilderness. They are rejected by God. Look at this. Hebrews chapter four. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter three. You can turn there and just listen. Hebrews chapter three, verse seven says this. Therefore, Hebrews is tough to understand, so you're going to have to hang with me while I read it. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so there's a wicked generation who is the same generation that saw all of the plagues and all of the miracles. That generation who walked through the Red Sea on dry land was a wicked and perverse generation, even though they did all sorts of mighty things. You following me? It's possible to grow up in the church and be in church your whole life and be wicked and abominable. And everybody think you're okay, but in God's eyes, you're not. The book of Numbers should scare the person who grew up in church to death. Because it should get you to reflect. So he says, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, verse 12, that there are not, that there not be any one of you with an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, listen to this. Did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Listen, two million people died in the wilderness and did not enter the promised land. Don't you think for a second that they made it to heaven if they didn't inherit the promised land? Two million people died because of disobedience. The same people who witnessed the plagues. The same people who walked through the Red Sea. The same people who obeyed perfectly and built the tabernacle. Those same people died in the wilderness because of disobedience. And listen to this, verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. You see, their disobedience was a spotlight that shone on their unbelief. Because people who believe... Don't disobey. You go back and read through Leviticus and I dare you find one place where there's a sacrifice that you're supposed to offer for a sin that you knew you were doing. The only sacrifices you find in Leviticus are for sins that you did by accident. There is no sacrifice in Leviticus for somebody who sets out to do something ugly. They do it and they do not get forgiveness in the book of Leviticus. You won't find it. You live with that in the book of Leviticus. Because why? Because God's people don't deliberately sin. And so this is perfect time for the Christian to examine their life and say, am I living a life of obedience? Or am I living a life of disobedience? Which is only meaning that I probably don't have faith in the first place. Which is a dangerous place to be. Brothers and sisters, faith, excuse me, The finished work of Jesus Christ is available for anyone by faith. Anyone who will repent of their sins and put their faith in the risen Lord can be saved. But the danger is for people who grow up in church. I was one of those people and said the right things and did the right things. But in their heart, they were not close to the Lord. When we do things as a church, when we do outreach, when we do missions projects, when we feed the hungry, when we do all of these other things that we're doing, where's your heart? Is your heart grumbling and complaining or is your heart supportive and eager to jump on board? Listen, we're going to do a lot of different things at the church and, and they, some of them may not be your thing. Uh, I have a heart for people who are disabled. I do. But I find it difficult for myself to, to work with people that have some sorts of, of disabilities. I'm just being completely raw and honest with you. But for those of you who that is your ministry, I support you 110%. We are all good at different things. But my heart is excited for you when you serve that group of people. You with me? Where is your heart in the ministry projects that we're doing? Is it complaining? Is it grumbling? Or is it eager to jump in and help and support? That's your litmus test. Are you like the people that die in the wilderness? Are you like the people who go and inherit the promised land? good question right second thing out of the book of numbers and this is what we're going to have in closing first go the way of Cain no don't do that don't go the way of Cain go the way of Abel don't go the way of Cain the book of Jude is going to say beware of going the way of Cain and you know that's easy to do because sin is so easy to fall into but anyways the second point is that there's a difference between stated belief and action you listening to me there's a difference between stated belief and action. Lord, everything you've said, we will do. Ah, I hate God's provision. All oh, this manna, it's driving me crazy. I'm so tired of eating manna. Does that sound like a people who, everything you've said, we will do? Mm-mm, it doesn't. You see in the book of Numbers, all of their grumbling and complaining. Um, that song we just sang, great song. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my feet, let them be beautiful, something, something for thee. Some sort of poetry that sounds good. Is that you? Do you really want to be consecrated for the Lord? Are you really interested in boiling your life down, getting rid of the sin and being whatever the Lord wants you to be? Or do you like where you are and you've put your feet in and you've said, here I stay and I'm not going any farther. Whenever you as a Christian get to a point in your life and you say, "Mm -mm, I'm stopping here. You are out on a shaky limb, brother. You are out on a very shaky limb. Because people who are true followers of Christ follow wherever he wants them to go. And they get rid of whatever he asks them to get rid of. And they embrace the things that he wants them to do. And so the book of Numbers is a wake-up call for the church. Business is not going on as usual. There are two groups of people. There's a group of people. And this is in all churches who die in the wilderness. Their stated belief is not backed up by their actions. And then there's a group of people who are the true people of God who go on to do great things for God. You see, there's this principle in Scripture where God, you ever, you ever use flour? You ever use flour for baking? I don't bake and so I'm out on a shaky limb with his illustration. But you don't want to use flour that's all clumped up. So you put the flour from the bag into this thing and you shake it out and then you use the flour that, that comes through the sifter. God does the same things with his people. He did it with Noah. He sifted. He put Noah and his family in a boat and he killed everybody else. God's in the wilderness and he takes 2 million people and he sifts them out. And he takes the good and he uses them and he throws the other ones out. He's going to do it again around 600 BC when the, the Babylonians come into Israel. You'll see that he sifts his people out. And he uses the remnant that's left over. And you'll see that that's a theme that's used all throughout Scripture, that God does most of his work with the remnant that's left over. And so as a church, I pray that we would be a people who go where God leads us. We don't grumble and complain along the way, but we are a consecrated people who are eager to do the Lord's work with joyful hearts, being generous and grateful for everything that he does for us. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book of numbers Lord. we thank you That you love us enough to give us an illustration of where we should be and where we should not be Lord, I pray that we would never be the sort of people that grumble and complain along the way But god, I pray that we would be a people who go where you say go and we stop where you say stop And god, I pray that we are always eager to Rid our lives of sin and run the race that you've set before us And so god, I pray that you would use us in a mighty way and, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who may be under conviction because of a uh, grumbling, complaining heart, God, I pray for them that you would strengthen them, that you would equip them, and that your Holy Spirit would begin to show them how to walk in the way of life. And, God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would do business with you, and that you would forgive them of their sins and take them into the promised land. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand for a hymn of invitation. Just for one moment. The yeses have it unanimously. So our nominating committee is going to get to work here soon. And they're going to volunteer you for all sorts of good things, right? And we're not going to grumble and complain, huh? <laughs> you got the green light, Jonathan. They'll do anything you say. They've said it. Uh, here we go. A couple of quick announcements. Congratulations, Carolyn and Mike Dale and your grandbaby. Red and Janet, if you're here, congratulations on your great-grandbaby. Hopefully you'll... tell them good job. Outreach next week. Don't forget our church is gathering together. We've got a plan that's been laid out. There's some uh, packets by the windows if you're interested. Uh, we've got a plan to reach our community, every house in our community, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're starting with our inactive church members. And if you're here and you're a member, we expect you to come. If you're here and you've been coming and you just haven't joined yet, we, we hope that you will come and join us in what we're doing because it's a good thing. Last but not least, uh, there are some flyers as you go out the door. Uh, they're not in color, but they look the same as this Uh, there's a ministry opportunity with windsor elementary school to help uh, proctoring some of their end of year tests Uh, the reason I tell you so soon is because there's a brief training that you have to go to mainly so you can fill out paperwork and Um uh, Ask any questions should be very brief, but you've got to to let them know soon So you let me know and i'll pass your name on to the elementary school Um Administration, so we can, um, let them know how many people are gonna come and help with the testing. This is a really neat way to be involved in our community. It means a lot to the teachers. Listen, I, I don't know what we pay our elementary school teachers, but whatever it is, it is not enough. It is, uh, it is a wild goat rope sometimes in the school, and they need, uh, they need us to come and help them during testing. The, listen, the way they, they have to do testing, uh, is tough on the kids, and so they really do need all the help they can get. So, uh, some of you that maybe are, are off, uh, maybe you've got some time off you want to take and serve. And maybe you, um, you're you not working and you want to help. Uh, you, but you're needed here at Windsor Elementary. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll close. Dr. Tarkington, would you close us in prayer?